0: Well, good morning. How many of you came to one of our other seminars that we did here before? Yay, my friends. How many of you have never been to a walk through the Bible seminar before ever? Mm. Mmm. Potential clients here. You say, well, what do? we do? do It's a fun way just to spend an afternoon to learn all of the 39 books of the Old Testament, the major people, places, and events, how the story took place. We'll make it fun and interesting for you, and it'll hopefully be something you never forget. Now, that does take a few hours. There are a lot of different versions of the Bible. I'll be speaking today from the NIV, which is New International Version. There is also the CEV. There's the NASB. There's the KJV. There's the NLT. There are all different versions and translations of the Bible, but I found a new one for some of you that like to, kind of a microwave type of a person, you like to do things quick. Okay, this would be the version for you. It's called the TLDR version. It means it's too long, so I don't read it at all. And so if that's true for you, if, if you basically would like the TLDR version, I'm going to read you the entire Bible summary. I'm going to summarize the entire Bible for you in about 68 seconds. Okay? So this is the quick version through it all. If you don't have time to come to the seminar. This is the second best you can get. Here we go. The whole Bible in 70 seconds. Ready? God. All right, you two, don't do the one thing. Other than that, have fun. Adam and Eve. Okay. Satan, you should do the thing. Adam and Eve. Okay. God, what happened? Uh, Adam and Eve, we did the thing. God. Guys. The rest of the Old Testament. God, you're my people and you should not do the things. People, we won't do the things. God, good. People, we did the things. God, guys, the gospels, Jesus, I am the son of God. And even though you have done the things, the father and I love you more and want you to live. Don't do the things anymore. Heal people. Okay. Thank you. Other people, we've never seen him do the things, but he probably does the things when no one is looking. Jesus, I have never done the things. Other people, we're going to put you on trial for doing the things. Pilate, did you do the things? Jesus, no. Pilate, he didn't do the things. Other people, kill him anyway. Pilate, okay. Jesus, guys. Paul's letters. People, we did the things. Paul, Jesus loves you and because you love him, you have to stop doing the things. People, okay. Paul's letters, part two. People, we did the things again. Paul, guys. Revelation, John, when Jesus comes back, there will be no more people to do the things. In the meantime, stop doing the things. The end. Wow, guys. Thanks for the kind words. See you soon. Okay, there you go. There's the whole Bible. Just don't do the things. What's God going to do because of the things? So, well, I hope you had a good, wonderful holiday season. I love this church. I love your pastor, Curt and Danita, and the staff, and Tom and Jonathan, the guys around here. And y'all have an amazing ministry here. A lot of churches around the country, you're very blessed in in the staff you have and what's going on here. And God's doing a great work here. And I'm just so honored to be a part of it and be able to come back in February and teach you a walk through the Bible seminar. We'll have fun if you come, and I think you'll learn some things that will be very good for you. Well, I'm going to tell you a story today to kind of bridge you from Christmas. we still got the trees up, see, so we can still talk about Christmas. That's good. But after today, I mean, decorations got to come down at your house, right? All the lights, everything, let's bring them down. How many of you keep them up through New Year's? Let's see your hands. Uh, why, why? Because you don't want to take them down now, right? You just want to, you want to wait and pretend like it's Christmas for one more week. It just seems strange to me. But some people do that. But So I'm going to make this message the bridge between Christmas and where I need, think you need to go in 2015 with one main important truth. And if you let this truth sink down into your heart and your soul, it will greatly impact everything about your life, Everything. It's a very important truth, and it's a story I'm going to tell you. And the story is going to be called A Tale of Three Kings. Now, every good story always starts with four words. Those words are once upon a time. So I'll start the same way. Once upon a time, there were three kings. Put your three fingers up like that and say three kings. Three kings. Put two up now and say two were very bad. Two were very bad. Put one up and say one was very good. One was very good. I appreciate all 78% of you doing that. This is the tale of three kings. How many kings were there? Three. Two were very what? One was very... Let's talk about the bad guys first. The bad kings were in charge of a vast empire. Here's the true thing about kings. I just thought about this sitting right over here just a few minutes ago. Uh, When you have a country, it's only room for one king at a time, isn't there? Uh, If you put a couple of kings in the same country... Things usually don't go well. There's usually a a conflict between these kings until one of them can scramble to the top. Isn't that correct? So one king at a time. Let's talk about the first one. This man was in charge of a vast empire expanded greatly by violence and wars. Thousands of people had been slaughtered to see this kingdom become the largest kingdom in the history of the known world. And it was called the Roman Empire. The Roman king was the most powerful man in the world. He was devoted to building his kingdom. He wanted more land, more people under his thumb, more provinces, more territory. The more, the better. And that's what he did. At its peak, the Roman Empire extended as far north as England, as far east as Asia, and as far south down into Africa. And it covered about 3 million square miles. That's about as big as mainland United States of America. Think of all of our country. That was about the size of the Roman Empire. That was pretty big, and that was pretty vast. There had never been a kingdom like this before. This Caesar literally ruled the known world, and he also ruled the rulers of the people in the lands that he occupied. So he was known as this. He was called, say that with me out loud, the king of kings. That's what they called him, king of kings. He was, he was devoted fully to extending his glory, and he wore the crown and it had not come to him easily because he had to kill off many rivals to finally arrive at the top rung. And one by one, he eliminated them all. And in 27 B.C., he was given a new name by the Roman Senate, and he is our first bad king. Put up one finger, first bad king, and his name was, say it out loud, Caesar Augustus. He's putting up his finger as well. He's, He's a, he can't see it, but really he's got a finger up there. And so he is the number one king. What's his name? Caesar Augustus. He's our first king. We still talk about an august person. As a person of a great status, whose status is larger than life. And that was true about him for sure. They built statues of him like this, and they placed them all over the Roman Empire. Everywhere you walked, you saw a statue of the head of Caesar or a statue of him there. And to venerate him and to bow before him and things like this. Uh, At the end of his life, people continued to worship him, and here's what they said. Glory to Caesar in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom Caesar's favor rests. Does that sound strangely familiar to something that you might think of during the Christmas season? That was said by the Romans. Here's what Caesar said. My peace, I give you. Now, that was kind of a misnomer because it was called the Pax Romana. And it was a very bloody, bloody peace. He had to kill a lot of people to have his peace. And a lot more were killed to maintain it. And it cost a lot of money. He had a standing army of something like 500,000 men. And they would make sure that everyone was under control. And once upon a time, he's the first person listed in the story of Christmas. First guy. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. Here's what it says. In those days, who's our guy? Caesar Augustus. Now you know a little bit about him. In those days, he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now think think about this. Perhaps no human being before or after has ever had so much power and held on to it so tightly for so long as this man had done. And he just lifted his finger like this and issued a decree. And everyone in this massive empire had to scramble to obey exactly what he said. That's the way it was in my house growing up. When my kids were young, I would just lift my finger. My kids would fall at my feet and do, no, it it didn't quite work like that. I had my finger out, but I was chasing them, trying to find them usually. But it didn't work like that quite for me. But that's what's going on for him. He just lifted the finger. Now, Luke says, watch what happens now. Now things will really start to become interesting. Now put two fingers up like this. Now let's talk about king number two. Who's king number one? What's his name? Caesar Augustus. Now the second king is named King Herod. Say that with me. King Herod, okay? Now what do you do when you conquer the world? That's a terrible picture. Of the guy. I mean, surely you could have got a better picture. That guy smiling or something, couldn't you? This guy was crazy. He was a madman he was so paranoid that he would, he would lose his kingdom that he heard his wife wanted his kingdom, and so he killed her. He heard his sons were talking behind his back about wanting to take his kingdom one day, and he had his two sons killed. I mean, this guy was a paranoid guy. Now, what do you, how did do, he do come to be? Well, what do you do in the Roman Empire when you have countries you're in control of that are so far away, thousands of miles away? How do you control them? Well, you find people in those particular regions, and you make them like a puppet government. You got to put them on strings and stuff, and you can control them from a distance, and then they can control large areas. And so in Israel, they found this guy who was a young warrior. He was half Jewish. He was half Edomite. He was the original half and half is what I call him. But his name was King Herod, and he was a fierce, fierce warrior. He besieged Jerusalem, and a wholesale massacre occurred. He absolutely slaughtered the city. He said his power was by the will of God. Oh, yeah? Remember, he had to keep Caesar happy. So what did he do? Just like the Roman Empire, he built statues. He put statues in Israel so people could come and they could bow down to him. So he was the puppet king, but Caesar Augustus was the main dude in Rome. That's what's going on in this story of the Christmas story. He built all this stuff. He built altars. He built inscriptions. He 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 was the great builder. If you go to Israel, Pastor Kurt told me he just got back from Israel. I went to Israel in 2012, and uh, we hiked 125 miles through Israel. It was was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. We saw all these inscriptions and we saw the remains and the archaeology of everything Herod built because he was a maniac builder. He was always building something, inscriptions and stuff. He loved Caesar. He even invented a salad and named it after him. no, it's, he didn't do that. No, he, he didn't do that at all. If you have a Caesar salad today, it wasn't because of that. Okay? Now, he was not loved by the Jews because they hated the statues. Remember, the Bible says don't make any graven images. Don't make any idols. And they'd walk by, and the Romans would say, bow down to the statues. And the Jews would do it and say, I don't want to do it. You're not supposed to be doing this. And so they either, it could either stand up and die, or they could bow down and pretend. And so they had this conflict always raging, and they hated Herod. And they hated the Romans. But when Caesar speaks, Herod listens. Here's a quote from Tom Wright. I like this. This Caesar, this king, this absolute monarch, lifts his finger in Rome and 1,500 miles away in an obscure province, a poverty-stricken couple, undertake a hazardous journey at the whim of a king. Now, Luke chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And everyone went to his own town to register. You see what's going on? Caesar said, we're all going to do it. Okay. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. Now, an ancient prophecy in Micah 5.2 says this. That the Messiah would be born in a small town, like an arrow pinpointing down to a little tiny place called Bethlehem. When you sing the song at Christmas, oh, little town of Bethlehem, that's more true than you realize. Probably only about 100 people live there. There, there are tons more people here in this auditorium today. If you put out 100 people like right over there in that area, that's about everybody that would have been living in that city. It was like a little nowhere place in the world. But the prophet zeroed in and said, that's where the Messiah will be born. And here's what it says in Micah 5.5. And he will be their peace. Wait a minute. We've already got the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. We've got this bloody peace where you have to do it, which was a false peace. But there's another king coming. It ain't Caesar. It is not Herod. And the third king coming is going to be a baby born in a manger. He's going to be called one day truly king of kings and Lord of lords. And he's the third king. His name is Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And that's going to be happening in Bethlehem in the Christmas story. That's a beautiful thing. But Joseph and Mary would never have gone there if it weren't for king number one, Caesar. Why did it come to pass? Why did they end up going to Bethlehem? Caesar would have said, because I said so. I raised my finger and everybody went. That's the way I am. I am Caesar. I am in charge. I am in charge of everything. He thought it was him doing it. That's what Caesars do. But what is Luke going after? Which king is really at work here? Is Father God orchestrating the chess pieces on the map to make sure that Mary and Joseph get to this place that's prophesied in Micah hundreds of years before, that that's where Messiah would be born? Uh, Yeah, he is. Is he using a human instrument named Caesar to cause it to happen? Yes, he is. But God is actually in control. Caesar thought he was doing it all, but it's actually God setting the timetable up and the actual locations for all the Christmas story to take place. It's an amazing thing. So whose kingdom is it really? King number one, king number two, or king number three? Hmm. All of the soldiers, all of the swords, all of the chariots are in Rome. In Bethlehem, there's just a bunch of few houses, some mangers, some donkeys and shepherds. But the angels aren't singing in Rome. The shepherds don't hear the angelic choir in Rome. They hear it outside of Bethlehem. And so that's what's going on. Caesar thought, and rightly so, that his throne in Rome was as secure as humanly possible. That's probably true. But the true king of kings will be soon lying in a manger, in Bethlehem and what Luke is trying to do in the story is to expose the illusion that we all live with and here it is listen carefully it's really all about me it's about expanding my little kingdom you see I wake up in the morning and there's a radio station playing in my head it's called WLF Steve all Steve all day long hey Steve you have a good night's sleep yeah pretty good Hey, Steve, it's time to eat. Let's go. Let's get some good stuff for breakfast. What am I going to wear? What am I going to do? Take a shower, look good, talk to people. Hey, all day long, my world is whirling around myself. And there's this voice inside my head about my little kingdom, my power, my glory. Uh, One of the best commentaries I know on this is a book on political science theory by a great theologian. Great theologian. His name is Dr. Seuss. It's a book he wrote. The book is called Yertle the Turtle. I read it when I was growing up. I read it to my kids when they were little. I have read it to my grandkids now recently. Here's what it's about. There's a little pond of turtles, and it's ruled, or so he thinks, by one of them named Yertle. And one day he decides his kingdom needs a little expanding. Here's what he said. I'm king, he said, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. So it came to pass, there went out a decree from Yertle the turtle, that all the turtles should be stacked up high, to, a, a, one on top of the other to extend his power and to extend his throne. So he, here's a, he's got a great leadership vision here. Higher up he gets, he can see farther into the distance. All the pond scrambles to do it. And then he said, I'm Yertle the turtle, oh marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see, Yertle Augustus. And he thought his throne was as secure as a throne could be, but something changes. Here's what it is. For the turtle on the bottom did a plain little thing. He burped burp. And that burp shook the throne of the king. And today the great Yurtle, the marvelous he, is king of the mud. That's all he can see. That's pretty good theology. Because that's where all kings end up. All of them. Kings 2,000 years ago and kings today. Because the Bible says, the first shall be last. And he who exalts himself shall be humbled. Even if you're Yertle Augustus. Even if you're Yertle VIP. BMOC. MD. CEO. Whatever else. PhD. PhD. You pick the letters. You're just one little burp burp, away from your kingdom crumbling. We all have this kingdom problem. I want to build my little kingdom. I want to extend my little kingdom. I want it to be the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it, with who I want it to be. I want it to look like this and act like this and sound like this and be like this. And we all have this in our heads that that's the way we're living our lives. We have a kingdom problem. That it's about me. It's about what I'm doing. I want to have control. But every once in a while in the kingdom, something burps. Bro, and it grinds everything to a halt. I'm a pastor. I have been for many, many years. I have three wonderful children. One daughter and two sons. They're married and we have 11 grandkids. Ten boys, one girl. Had them all together at Christmas. It's like absolute chaos you know, when they're there in the house. But within the last couple months, my happily Christian family of who we all have pictures all over our house of all the children, all the families and all that looks so picture perfect. All people always say, you have just the most beautiful, most wonderful family. Well, this year there's been a little burp in our family. And my daughter and son-in-law are probably separated and heading for divorce. And it has just been like a dagger ah, thrust into our family. Four kids, trying to pray with them, work through it, help them any way that we can, not meddle too much, know when to say, when to step in. Other kids, what are they thinking about it? What's being said? You've got all these things happening, and the whole, whole keys kingdom is burping and crumbling right now. As I was studying this, I was reminded of that. I'm not alone in this. Your families have experienced the same thing, haven't they? You've experienced the loss of a loved one. My father died on December 23, many years ago, right before Christmas Eve. Every year right before Christmas Eve, I remember what I felt like when I was a kid and my dad passed away right before Christmas. You've lost loved ones. You've been to the doctor and he's given you that bad report. You've lost jobs. You've had wayward children who didn't do the right things and are away from God. You've had addictive behaviors in your past and in your life. What's been the burp in your life? Oh that kind of shocked you back into reality that it's not about you. It's about God and God and his mercy and grace overwhelming you and loving you in the midst, not only in your good times, but in the most difficult times, coming to you in those dark days, wrapping his arms around you and telling you how much he loves you. Some people, when they build their kingdoms, are bold and obvious about it. Others are more kind of sneaky and subtle. I'm kind of a sneaky, subtle kingdom builder guy. I like to do it behind closed doors. No one's looking and kind of make everything look like I want it to be. But we all have this kingdom problem. And we all think this. And it came to pass that when I had a decree from me. And we tend to think that way. I mean, I walk into work. Projects have been done. Things are running my way. The task I've assigned to various people are all being done and carried out. What does it mean? It means I'm in charge. Everything's going well. My little kingdom. I go into my house, the beds are all made. Uh, Prescribed chores I've given to my children have all been done. What does that mean? I'm in charge. My little family. My little kingdom. I walk through the door at the end of the day. My house shoes are laid out by my sunroom recliner. My iced tea is ready. My mail is ready for me to read it. And dinner is cooking on the stove. What does that mean? It means I walked in the wrong house. That's what that means. If I went into a situation like that, that would not be my home. For sure. Because none of that would be true. Zero. Baloney. I realize I have no little kingdom at home and I walk in and it ain't like that. We all get a little confused about whose kingdom it is. I can be so preoccupied with my little kingdom. And when I am, then I start to worry about it. When I worry about it, then it turns into stress over it. And then I become selfish and I become preoccupied and thinking that everybody knows, and everybody's talking, everybody's aware of all that. In my little kingdom, I can become so internally focused. Then I can feel threatened. I can feel vulnerable. Not enough people know about the situation with my family. Nobody's praying for me. Nobody gives a rip about it. Nobody cares about us anymore. And I can start acting like that. Then I can become mad. Why? My little kingdom. Or when things go well, everything's just going perfect, then I can become puffed up. When the Bible says very clearly... Proverbs nineteen twenty one, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You remember when Joseph was in prison and then he was released and he was put in charge of all of Egypt and his brothers came and they went before him to buy some grain and they didn't recognize him. And when they finally did, they were scared for their lives. He looked at them and said in Genesis, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You take that verse to the bank in 2015, and you're going to be all right. Others around you may do stuff to you or to hurt you or to harm you or cause you pain, and they may do it out of evil intent, but God can take it and turn it around and work it out for his good and for his glory. And you can either trust him and believe him or you cannot. It's a choice you make because you've got to believe this if you're going to make it in 2015. And here it is. God is in charge, not you. God's in charge of this church, not Kurt. It's not Kurt's church. Sounds kind of cool. Kurt's church. It's not Thomas' church. Kurt's church. Jonathan's church. This is God's church. And these men are simply under shepherds to lead you in this ministry. I've known pastors that were so convinced it was their church, their churches have been ruined and split because of sin in the lives of the pastors. It's my people my church my ministry my this my that whenever you start talking like that be very careful god was in charge of all the events in the story of christmas i just gave you with king number one king number two king number three but today he's still the king of kings the prince of peace and he is still the lord of lords here's the last thing you can put on your notes if you're taking any notes We sing songs at Christmas about little Lord Jesus, asleep on the hay, little Lord Jesus. But he grew up to become Lord of lords. And so here's the statement. If he is Lord of all, then you and me are Lord of nothing. I want you to say that with me out loud. If he is Lord of all, then I am Lord of... One more time. If he is Lord of all, then I am Lord of... I'm Lord of nothing. Remember, you can only have one king at a time. And if he is king of kings, I can't, be, I can't run my little kingdom in parallel with his. My world has to line up under his and take the good, bad, and the indifferent from his hand and deal with it the best that I can. So if you'd been born to the Roman Empire, <laughs> you would have had to obey and submit by force if you didn't. Off with your head, you're dead. But in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, our king of kings wants, to, wants you to come and serve him by choice. He says the invitation's for you. In 2015, are you going to follow him as the king of kings, or are you going to try to set up your own little kingdom and live your own life without him? This is a sad way to live, all by yourself. If you line up your life under him, And say, I do surrender, and I give you my heart and life for this year, Father, to lead and to guide me wherever you have me go. And in the good times, rejoice in his favor and bounty and blessing to you. And in the difficult times, continue to trust, continue to exalt. In the midst of the heartbreak in our family right now, we're just pumping our house full of praise music. And we're just walking around our house singing praises to his name for who he is in the midst of whatever burp that you're experiencing right now, I would say turn that into praise. Weeping endureth for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Don't you know that all things work together for good? To them that love God, to them that are called according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. So, Father, I will trust you in that, will you? He came for you and he came for me. I give him my my sin, my guilt, my shame. He gives me joy and peace and love and grace and mercy and eternal life now and life to come, that's a good deal. I hope you've made that exchange with him. If you've not, talk with any of the leaders in this church and they'll tell you how you can start a relationship with the king of kings. Then I hope this year it won't be about your little kingdom anymore. And that's the overarching principle you can take away from this. Is it going to be me on the throne next year or God? And if you'd like it to be God, just extend your hands like this. And I will pray a blessing over you for every hand that's extended. Father, for every open hand that's saying today, they want to surrender to you. They want to submit to you by saying that you are king of kings and Lord of Lords. Say that with me out loud. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Say it again. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And remember that we are Lord of nothing. Father, I'm Lord of nothing, but I want to follow you this year. I want this to be a year I can trust you with all that comes into my life, not just the good things, but with the tough things, knowing that you love us and you will see us through. So today, in the name of Jesus, I bless every person with hands extended to be a part of the team that follows you into the next new year. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Well, thanks so much for coming today. God bless you. We hope to see you back at the seminar in February.